happiness. You want to be happy. Yes. Does anybody here want to be happy? Yes. Will you put your hand up if you want to be happy? Come on. Come on. If you haven't put your hand up, you're dead. <laughs> Literally, you're dead. Like you have died if you don't want to be happy. There's something wrong with you. We will lay hands on you and we'll do your funeral later, okay? Would you do me a favor? Will you turn to the person next to you and say to them, you want to be happy. Go on. No. I know you want to be happy. I'm going to go one inch further and say God wants you to be happy. The Lord wants you to be happy. Amen. It's his desire for you that you would know happiness and bliss. Not only now, but in eternity forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. He wants you to be happy. Yes. But the curious thing about being happy is that it isn't always about feeling happy. I tell you this, I think I'm a happy person. I don't know, you might have to ask my wife and my kids. But I think I'm a happy person. But I don't always feel happy. Certainly when I wake up first thing in the morning, I haven't had any coffee directed into my vein yet. I don't necessarily feel top of the world looking down on creation. But you know what? I am a happy person. And I know I'm happy because God has made me happy. Amen. It's because of what God has done in my life. That has truly made me a happy person. Honest to goodness, it really has. I want to talk to you today about the pursuit of happiness. Because everyone you work with, everyone you know, everyone you've ever lived with, anyone you've ever been around wants to be happy. That's what they want. That's what they desire. Here's a guy. This guy, this is a portrait of a guy called Blaise Pascal. And Blaise Pascal was a French philosopher, mathematician. He was a bit of a polymath, a genius, and lots of stuff. And he was a Christian. And he wrote a fabulous book called Pensées, which means his thoughts. And in his book, he wrote this about happiness. And I think it's true. He said this. He said, all men, and women for the record, just in case you're wondering, were equal. Happiness is equal opportunities. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The will never takes the least step but to this object, the motive of every action of every man. You want to be happy. I was watching, you know, as a true Irish Republican, I was watching the series The Crown on Netflix recently, and in it, there was this depiction of, uh, there's this picture of uh, Princess Diana in it, and I was always saying to Ellen, we watched the show on Princess Diana, the late Princess Diana of whatever, of, of Wales, um, and uh, between the two so she goes, and every time somebody asks her, well, what do you want? She says, I just want to be happy. <laughs> and then she goes and says, what's the matter with you? I want to be happy. Well, do you want to be happy? I'm very sorry for you. Because you live in luxury continuously and you have people minding your hand and foot and you are a member of the royal family and you want to be happy. <laughs> we'll be praying for the royal family later. But moving on. She wanted to be happy, but you know what she did? She wanted to be happy and you want to be happy. You want to be happy. God wants you to be happy. And the people that you've ever, all the people you've ever met want to be happy. All right, Michael, where are you going? You see, when I talk about happiness, I know that there's a certain number of people who know their Bible well and they say, well, you know what? I don't know about happiness, but God wants us to have joy. Yes. He wants us to have joy. Yes. Because joy is kind of 
heavy and serious. How can joy be so? But it is. It's like we used to sing a song years ago. Maybe some of you know it. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. You stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. Hey, I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. Boom, boom. They're definitely a cult. Anyway. But the people who had that joy, joy, joy down in their heart rarely told their faces. As I could tell. So people were always looking for something serious joy. But joy, happiness, it's all the same. This is what Randy Alcorn, he's an American Christian writer, wrote about happiness. And his record of what he said it appears in the scriptures. Here's what he said. He said, there are more than 2,700, take that number in, 2,700 Bible passages with words such as joy, happiness, gladness, merriment, pleasure, celebration, cheer, laughter, delight, feasting and celebration. Not including the words blessed. And blessing in the Bible. 2,700 different passages that reference these things. You see, happiness, joy, merriment, gladness, it's all woven into the scriptures and it's all woven into God's plan for you and for me. Would anyone say, Amen. Amen. Amen? He wants you to be happy. But the thing about happiness is this there is two forms of happiness. There is, if you will, the emotional experience of feeling happy. And then there is the life experience, if you will, the ethical condition of being happy. So what happens is, if you look at the, old, if you look at the Bible, in, the, in Bible times, and right, right up to maybe like the late 1700s into the early 1800s, the whole idea of being happy was based around living a good life. You lived a good life and you were a happy person. In actual fact, for a lot of the people that you would have spoken to in the 1700s and times before that, you said to them, do you feel happy? They'd kind of look at you quizzically and go, you can feel happy? They didn't understand what that meant about that feeling, feeling. So happiness has become, if you will, psychologized in the last century and a half, but that's between the jigs and the rigs, and we want to feel happy all the time. Jordan B. Peterson is a, is, is a writer. He's not a Christian. He's on a journey towards faith, as far as I can say. I've listened to him several times. I've read a couple of his books. He's a really good guy. He's a really good, he's an intellectual psychologist. He wrote this about happiness. And I must say, I really opened my eyes towards a lot of things that go on in my own life and in the lives of others around me. Here's what he said. He said, the system that produces happiness in our lives and in our hearts produces that emotion when we see movement toward a valued goal. The more we move towards something that is really valuable to us, the happier we get. So, before I go to the next point and what he says, so you can go this way. The closer you get to getting the girl of your dreams, the happier you will be. Would any of the men say amen? Amen. amen? amen. The closer you get to it, the happier you get. The closer you get to that Chinese that you love to get on Thursday night and your mouth begins to salivate, the happier you get. Are you with me? The closer, I was going to say that, I was going to say that line of cocaine, but I'm not going to use that in this context. It wouldn't be great. But the closer you get to a very valued goal, the more happy you become. And so you say, I'm really looking forward to my holidays. And everybody likes, I think everybody likes a holiday. If you don't like a holiday, we'd be praying for you as well. Anyway, I really like my holidays. And the closer you get to the holidays, the excitement builds and the happier you get when you go on the holidays. And then you go on the holidays and it turns out you're stuck in some awful place and you're really, really disappointed. Why? Because your expectation of happiness have been disappointed. Are you with me? 
right? So the closer you get to something that is of high value, but then he goes on to say this, think importantly, without a goal, there is no happiness. If you're not aiming for something in life, you know when the scripture says without a vision the people perish? If there's not an aim, if there's not a purpose in life, there can be no happiness. And that's why sometimes when people get into a very difficult situation in their lives, sometimes they become depressed and listless and unmotivated. It's because they've lost any sense of goal or any sense of purpose in their lives. And and thus, away goes happiness with it. And then he says the higher the value of the goal, the greater the happiness. The higher the value of the goal, the greater the happiness. So the higher thing, the, the, the thing that you aim for, the higher it is, the more important it is, the more valuable it is, the happier you will become as you approach it. The famous uh, steel tycoon, Andrew Carnegie, he wrote this, if you want to be happy, set a goal that commands your thoughts, liberates your energies, and inspires your hopes. Look at it. If you want to be happy, set a goal that commands your thoughts, liberates your energies and inspires your hopes. You see that? Mind, heart, soul. You see? You've got to have something going on in your life that you're aiming for. And we're all aiming for something. And what we're aiming for, generally, is that we're aiming to be happy. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Because I want to look at a guy in the Bible who pursued happiness with everything that he had, but he still didn't find it. He pursued happiness with all that he had in him. And boy, was he able to do it. The guy's name was Solomon. And we're going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, where he records his experience of his pursuit of happiness. And we'll have a look and see what we can learn from that and from other scriptures surrounding that same theme in the Bible now. So let's pray before we look at God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your purposes and plans towards us are good. They have always been good. And that our ultimate good is at the heart of who you are and what you purpose for us. Lord, bless us as we read your word. Speak to us. Inspire us. Challenge us, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Here we go. So Solomon begins his life. He's God's man. He's God's chosen king. He's the wisest man outside of Jesus who ever lived. He was the wisest king. He had the greatest empire. He expanded more than any other king of his time. He was just the greatest guy in the Bible, if you will, in the Old Testament. He achieved the most in terms of earthly success. He achieved the most of any of the characters who were God's people in the Bible. And this is what he writes about his experience of trying to be happy. Here's what he said. He said, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. And so I decided to cheer myself with wine. And in this way, I tried to experience the only happiness that most people find during their brief life in this world. He tried pleasure. He tried to be hedonically happy. He tried everything that was available to him. Drink, sex, Drugs in whatever form they were available to him. He tried every stimulant, every entertainment. He tried it all and he concluded that after trying it all, it was meaningless. It had no meaning for him. It might have given him stimulation, instant happiness, periodic times of elation or joy or euphoria. But in the end, it was meaningless. The solution to our lack of happiness is not to be found in immediate hedonistic, stimulated pleasures. It's that simple. This is what he's saying. And so he does something else. He decides to aim for something a little bit higher. And when I look at this list, I find it an interesting list, and I'll tell you why in a second. He goes on to say this. 
He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and I planted vineyards. I, I, I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees. He said, I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and treasure of kings and provinces. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I became the greatest. He was the richest. He was the most influential. He was the wisest. He was the most powerful king of his time. This is what he did. And when I look at the things that he amassed for himself, there's some of the things that I've prayed for in my life. Because God is the father of all good things. Are you with me? See, some of these things are good. He built a house for himself. We built a house for ourselves. Many of you here have built houses for yourselves. Is that a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. It was a good thing because God blessed us with it. He planted gardens and vineyards. I've never planted a vineyard. Good luck with that in Cork. But anyway, he planted parks and he reservoirs. I mean, he built reservoirs. Come on. How many people here have built a reservoir? But these things are good. He had more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before him. He had good stuff. He had the good stuff. Solomon had it all. The herds, the flocks, the money, the power, the wives, the women. Ah, he had everything. But still, he was empty inside. No matter what he tried to stuff into that, he was never satisfied. He goes on to say this. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. How many pleasures? No pleasure did he deny himself. And yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Everything, not a few things, not the odd thing, not some things, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind. And if you go chasing after the wind, no matter how fast you run, you will never catch up with the wind. No matter how much you try to grab and take hold and control the wind, you'll never get it. And he said, this search for satisfaction, just like, just like Mick Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. I tried everything. I can't get no. When I'm driving in the car and a man comes on the radio and he's telling me about some useless information. And I won't even go through the rest of the lyrics. Anyway, he moves up. So he tried everything and he concluded it was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Solomon, you're really raining on my parade, man, because I want some of those things, and they're nice and they're good. And Paul tells me, and the Word of God tells me, that God has given us everything for our enjoyment. What? Yes. He's given us everything for our enjoyment. The earth is the Lord's, and everything that's in it. Solomon gets a load of it, but he still doesn't end up any, any happier. And as he concludes the story in Ecclesiastes, as he finishes what is effectively his summing up of his experience in life, he said this. He said, this is the conclusion of it all. This is what I've decided, that the best thing for a man is to love God and obey his commandments. Amen. Sorry, fear God, in fact, he said, yes. and obey his commandments. Yes. That's the best thing. And that was the lot. And the reason why this search for satisfaction, this pursuit of happiness... In so many people's lives is because they're looking in the wrong place. 
It's that simple. They're looking in the wrong place. They're looking in the wrong place. Do you know that talk about money? I was listening to a statistic the other day. They said that after, after you have enough money to pay for your food, clothe yourself, house yourself in a warm and able home, after that, money doesn't make an awful lot of difference to your happiness for, yeah. for what it's worth. Yeah. It doesn't make an awful lot. Once you've got what you need, it's kind of, you know, you've got what you need. There's not a whole lot. You can only sleep in one bed at a time, wear one pair of shoes yeah. at a time, wear one jacket at a time, unless you're really weird and you wear loads of jackets at a time. But uh, There you go. You can only do one thing at a time. The point I want to make is this, that Solomon, after tasting everything, concluded that everything, his life was disappointing. His life was disappointing because he pursued happiness in all the wrong places. The greatest writer that Ireland has ever produced is a man called C.S. Lewis. Bet you're waiting for that quote. Bet you're waiting for that now. I knew you were waiting for that. The best writer we've ever produced is a man called C.S. Lewis. And they fight you out in the courts after if you don't agree with it. This is what he said. He said, God cannot give us peace and happiness apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such He's not holding out the peace and happiness apart from himself. He's not denying us peace and happiness apart from himself. He's not able to give us what just doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. He can't give us the peace and happiness that our hearts long for, that our souls desire, that, we are, that we're built to enjoy. He can't give it to us because it's not there. Apart from himself, it just doesn't exist. It's simply not possible to experience it without God. You see, these, th these good things that God put into Solomon's life and sometimes puts into our lives, very often they end up eclipsing God himself in our lives. Do you know what that can happen with... Imagine you spend your life praying for a wife, okay? I didn't spend my life praying for a wife, but I spent some time praying for a wife. I did a bit, a bit, a bit. But imagine you spend your life praying for a wife, and then you get the wife, and you go, yes, the Lord has blessed me with this wonderful wife, hallelujah. And then a couple of months later, she begins to give out to you about leaving your socks on the floor, and that you don't put the lid of the toilet back down, and you left the back door open. And then she begins to ask those really kind of acute accusatory questions such as, is that your cup in the sink? <laughs> you know those questions? You know those ones? Are they your socks on the ground there? Did you, did you, did you leave the back door open? There's only two of us here, honey, and it wasn't you. Oh, we did it, did it! It wasn't the poltergeist. Anyway. So, and, they be, and suddenly you begin to re, and they, you begin to try and look. I better keep my wife happy. And then suddenly the thing that was a blessing begins to eclipse God. Begins to eclipse God's true happiness for your life. Are you with me? Yeah. And we can let things like that happen to us all the time. The yeah. things that God get, gives us sometimes can get in the way. Jesus said in loose translation, He said, "If you aim for earth, if you aim for earth, sorry, let me put it another way. If you aim for heaven." You get the earth thrown in. Yeah. But if you aim for the earth, you'll get neither heaven nor earth. Are you with me? Yeah. This, is, and this is how he put it. He put it this way. In terms of chasing the highest, Jesus said. But first and most importantly, this is from, this is from the Amplified Bible. Aim and strive after his kingdom, God's, and his righteousness, that is his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God, and all these things will be given to you also. All the stuff that you need to live your life will be given to you when you put his kingdom first. When you put first things first, then you get second things. But if you get second things first, you won't get the first things, yeah. if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. He says, if you aim for heaven, earth will be thrown in. Do you know, it's a bit like, you know, when you, you, you get a bargain, you know, you say, okay, if you buy this, 
I don't know. If you buy this car, we'll throw in, we'll throw in leather upholstery and we'll throw in a full tank of petrol and we'll throw it out and if you buy this car. Well, Jesus is saying, if you buy the kingdom of heaven, you'll get everything else thrown in. Everything you need to live by. But you have to put that kingdom first. First. That kingdom has to be first. Let me look at what Jesus said about what it was and how we received the happiness of enjoying the kingdom. Jesus gave, if you will, a duet of, of parables. It's not the right word. I can't think of the, the, the correct word. But the duet of parables that are there in Matthew's gospel where he talks about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it's how we, uh, how we pursue and how we experience the kingdom of heaven. And this is what Jesus said. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, he went off, sold everything he had, and he bought the field. He bought the field because he knew what was in the field. And for some of us, that was our experience of coming to faith. It was for me. I wasn't looking for anything, but I stumbled across this treasure hidden in the field. And the field happened to be in a house on number 66 Plunkett Road in Ballyfehan in Cork. I stumbled into this field where the people, I went to this prayer meeting and people were worshipping God. It was like a cult. They were really too happy. And they were, they, were, they were really happy and they seemed to know and talk about Jesus and know, spoke about him in a way that they knew him. And the atmosphere of the place tingled with the presence and the sense of God inside in that room and I stumbled upon the kingdom of God hallelujah hallelujah and it gave me great joy and it changed my life and it changed the trajectory and the direction of my life ever since hallelujah I stumbled across it other people are searching for it some people are seeking Jesus said again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls and when he found one of great value he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it He sold all the other pearls that he had bought along the way and he bought this one because it was so important. I've met many Christians who were seeking, who were looking for God, who were seeking a philosophy, who were seeking a life way to live, who may have been seeking a religion, although they really are looking for a religion. Some people who were looking to find God and then they discover the peril of great price. They were seekers. So whether you're a seeker or you're a stumbler, the bottom line was this, you sold everything you had to buy what you discovered is of great value. Now let me ask you honestly a question. What is of greatest value in your life right now? What's of greatest value? What is the thing that you say this is the thing that I value the most? Because it, whatever it is, has to be in second place behind the kingdom of God in your life. If you're ever to truly know God's happiness, God's joy, God's peace. If you're ever to really know the absence of misery and the presence of peace in your life, that thing which is now the highest needs to get into the second place. Are you with me? Are you with me? And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be happy. Because you cannot find treasure hidden in a field and not be happy. I know I would. You can't find something you've been seeking for all of your life and not be happy. It is God's intention that we be a happy people. And the only way we'll ever really know it is when we seek Him first, His kingdom and His purposes first. I suppose in some senses, what we have to say is, Lord, Lord, if you, whatever happens in my life, I want your best to happen in my life. Not what I think is best, because I have my own ideas. Do you have your own ideas? Anybody here have their own ideas what they think is best? I certainly have loads of ideas. But I want to say, Lord, 
I really, really, really at the bottom of it all want your best in my life. Amen. Would anybody else pray that prayer with me? Yes. We'll pray that prayer in just a moment. I want, to, I want to just come towards a close with this verse. And if you go away with anything else, go away with two things today. One, God wants you to be happy. Two, you want to be happy. Let's get together and make this happy thing happen. Are you with me? Are you with me? Yes. There's a guy, a very famous Christian. He was living around the three and four hundreds. He was a, he was a, he became a very famous Christian. His name is Augustine. Does anybody ever hear of Augustine, Saint Augustine? Anybody hear Augustine of Hippo? Do you hear him? Yeah. So Augustine of Hippo was an interesting character. He was raised by his mother Monica. Uh, she was a Christian believer and she raised him up in the faith. She really worked hard at raising him in the faith. She lived a good and devout and sincere life herself. And she really wanted Augustine to follow in her footsteps and also become a Christian and live a good and devout and sincere, sincerely faithful life. But it turned out that Augustine had his own plans. He wanted to do his own thing. And so Augustine went off and he enjoyed every single possible pleasure that was available at the time as it was then, even still, the Roman Empire as it was coming towards its end. He enjoyed every single possible pleasure. He spared himself nothing that you can imagine because he happened to come from a fairly wealthy family so he was able to literally have everything that the world had to offer at the time. Now his mother Monica was brokenhearted because she wanted him to be a Christian. She wanted him to know God's true happiness while he chased all this stuff around. Well, as it turns out, almost out of the blue, he returns to Milan, his mother's home, at the age of 33, having literally tasted everything. He searched the world, he did everything. And suddenly at the age of 33, he became a Christian. God answered his mother's prayers. Are you praying for someone today? Yeah. Have you got someone in mind that you pray for? God hears your prayers. Would anyone say amen? amen. Don't give up hope. God's purpose. God's plan are still at work and we just got to keep on praying amen? amen because so many people that we love and that we long for they're chasing happiness in their own way but we know in our hearts and soul until they rest in God they will never know rest because this is what Augustine wrote himself of his own life he said you have made us for yourself O Lord and our hearts are restless until it rests in you until it rests in you and the people that we love and we long for, to, that we'd love to see come to know God and come to enter the kingdom of God fully, they will never rest until they rest in Jesus. That's the reality. That's the reality that they're facing. And today, you know, whatever you're wrestling with, how's about taking some of the rest of God home with you today? How's about taking some of the rest of God and saying, Lord, I'm struggling with this. I'm striving after that. I'm pursuing this, but I want to know your rest in my life. Would that be an okay thing to pray? Yes. Will you stand with me? We're going to sing in just a second. This is what the psalmist wrote a long, long time before Jesus came. A long time before Jesus came, the psalmist wrote this about the Lord. He said, You have made me very happy, happier than they are with all their grain and new wine. You have made me happier. You want to be happy? Will you raise your hand if you want to be happy? Do you want to know the rest and the peace of God in your life? If you want to know that, will you raise the other hand? We're going to sing just for a second, and then we're going to pray. I search the world. 